Welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast. If you love tennis and want to improve your game, this podcast is for you. Whether it's technique, strategy, equipment, or the mental game, tennis professional Ian Westerman is here to make you a better player. And now, here's Ian. Hi, and welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast, your place for free, expert tennis instruction that can truly help you improve your game. Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Tennis Express. Please check them out this week by going to EssentialTennis.com slash Express. Well, thank you very much for joining me on today's episode of the podcast. I have a special guest on today, Will Hamilton from Fuzz Yellow Balls. And we have a, a great conversation uh, first about Wimbledon, and then we talk about how to learn, what types of things to focus on in your tennis game to really give you the most benefit. So many recreational players focus on the wrong parts of, of their games and uh, the wrong kind of style of learning. And we have a great conversation about how to avoid that. Um, next week, I'm going to have another another special guest, Brent Abel from webtennis.com. Brent's a great guy, very, very knowledgeable, great player. And I'm looking forward to having him on the show as well. I, as I said last week, I was expecting to have uh, Dave the Kaz Kozlowski, but we're running into some scheduling problems. So going to get Brent Abel on, which I'm really looking forward to. So uh, with that, let's go ahead and get to today's interview. Sit back, relax, and get ready for some great tennis instruction. My guest today on the podcast is Will Hamilton from Fuzziola Balls. Will, thanks very much for coming back on the show. It's great to have you again. Hey, and good to be back with you. So tell us a little bit about uh, what's going on, Will. What, what have you been up to? Uh, not too much. I, uh, I just got back from Jacksonville, Florida. I was actually hanging out with a bunch of buddies from the Davidson tennis team. Uh, one of our friends uh, on the team is getting married, so it was his bachelor uh, party. Nice. So we, for four days, we just hit cross courts for, for four hours a day, you know. Just uh, just back in the grind. Standard, you know, bachelor party stuff, right? Exactly. I mean, it's just we fell right back into our training regimen, nice. and there were absolutely no shenanigans that went on. None at all. None. Absolutely none. <laughs> so, have you been watching Wimbledon much? <laughs> well, I, I, uh, uh, <laughs> I guess not. Four right? days, no. Um, <laughs> but uh, but prior to that, um, yeah, we did. We actually did watch a little bit of Wimbledon, and um, I'm getting back into it now. And today. I guess we're recording this in the morning, but there's some there's some heavyweight matchups later today, like Nadal versus Del Potro. I'm pretty pumped for that one. Yeah. And um, I guess Murray is playing Gasquet right now. That'll be a fun one to watch. And you got uh, Federer coming up against Yuzny. I think Fed probably probably gets through that one relatively easily. But uh, Nadal Del Potro could be could be tricky for Rafa. I mean, what's your take on that? I haven't seen well Del Potro. First of all, I think it's a big wild card. But, I mean, he's made it this far, so he must be playing reasonably well. Um, I haven't seen him play yet, but I agree that if anybody has the ability to upset Rafa, it's going to be a, you know, a big baseline slugger like Delpo if he's playing well. Yeah, I mean, the guy, you know, if he's, uh, if he's serving well and hitting that forehand well, he's going to be tough. He, he was the, uh, I believe until Federer beat Djokovic, he was the only guy to take a set off of uh, Djokovic at the French Open, and that the first two sets were pretty tight, and then and then after the the I guess they called it due to darkness. Then 
then uh, Djokovic ran away with it when they came back the next day. But he was looking tough. I mean, that, that, that wrist injury he had obviously set him back a lot. But this is going to be a, a, a tricky match for Rafa. So he'll have to be dialed in from, uh, from the first ball. So who do you have winning? Uh, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to go Rafa in four. Uh, I, I picked Federer over Rafa in the final. So I'm going to stick with that until, until, uh, or if one of those, you know, until one of those two guys goes down, if that happens, but both guys have looked, have looked dialed in. So I think we're on a, on a collision course for another Federer Nadal final, which would be super exciting. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I can't. Can't get enough of those. Uh, you know, who knows how much longer the the two of them, well, I guess Roger especially, will be at the top of their game. So I, I think it's really special every time that we continue to get to see the two of them in a final, much less a Grand Slam final. Yeah, that's a good question. Everybody's always like, you know, how many more majors is, is Federer going to win? What's your take? I think we talked about that question on one of the live broadcasts we did for the... Uh, <laughs> I can't remember what, what yeah, major it was last final year. it was. I can't remember which one either, but it was last year. What's your take? I picked four at the time, and I'm not feeling too confident about that one. <laughs> I picked less. I don't remember what the number was, but I remember being like, yeah, I don't know. I think four is pretty optimistic, but I don't remember what number uh, I chose exactly either. But, yeah, it, was a, it was an aggressive pick, but you got to go big or go home, and you got to, you know. That's why you pick <laughs> Roger every time, right? That that is uh, oh. that is true. I do, yeah. <laughs> Go big. That backfired. Um, <laughs> yeah, I do. Uh, I have on occasion picked Roger Federer to win everything. <laughs> not a bad pick. I'm not saying I blame you for that. Just uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I, yeah. I really, I really go out on a limb there, and uh, yeah, with my with my major predictions. I think it's been either Federer. Or, no, actually, um, in the last couple of years, it's either been Federer or Nadal, but I picked Djokovic at the French, mm-hmm. which which I think you kind of had to, right? Oh, yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, you absolutely had to. He was, what, like 35 in a row or something at that point? Yeah, and beaten Nadal the last two times I played on clay. And, and yeah. at Rome, it was convincing. I mean, it wasn't even close. He just spanked him. Um, and that, you know, the, his backhand was just money. So I, I figured that was going to be the difference but obviously Federer is maybe a slightly uh well Federer obviously uh is a better matchup for Rafa but Federer had the answers against uh mm-hmm. against Djokovic in that semi that was a great match well speaking of the pros I, I want to make sure we get to at least some instructional talk since uh okay. that's what my show is supposed to be about anyway <laughs> uh but uh, speaking of the pros swing Swing high to low. All right, we're done. <laughs> All right. Low, or low to high. Whoops. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, well, we're talking, well, we could have been talking about the volleys. Could have been slice. Yeah. 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 Uh, right. So speaking of the pros, um, you've had a, a free uh, course coming out over the course of this past week. And I, I want to say just from the get-go here, um, really two things. First of all, everybody who's listening to this right now, if it isn't past Tuesday yet. You still have a chance to see this. Will and I, I was out of town. Will was out of town. And unfortunately, we didn't have a chance to record this the week before, which would have been ideal. But um, Mm -hmm. if you're getting this show right away, today is Monday. I'm going to release this as soon as I can on Monday the 27th. Will's free course is still going to be up through, you said, like afternoon tomorrow on Tuesday, right? Yeah, probably around the mid-afternoon, I think, something like that. Okay. 
Um, so you need to check this out immediately. If you're listening to this on Monday or Tuesday and you haven't checked it out yet, uh, you can do that by going to EssentialTennis.com slash Rx. And again, that's only going to work uh, to see the free course until uh, afternoon uh, on Tuesday at some point. Um, secondly, something, and Will, we didn't, we didn't talk about this before the interview started, but, but something I, I kind of just wanted to get out there uh, from the outset was that, you know, it, at this point, everybody kind of knows that you and I you know, help each other out with like promotion when we have like a course coming out, etc. But I want, I want everybody to know that truthfully, and Will, listen, I, I promote you because I, I really, I like your stuff. I believe in your stuff. I know that you put out valuable content and, and that includes these free courses that are obviously, you know, promotional and they're leading up to, you know, the release of something else. But I watched every minute of this free course that Will put out and it's, it's really solid. It's, it's really good stuff. So I just want to say, you know, from the outset, I, it's great stuff and everybody needs to check it out. It's really solid. Yeah, well, thanks. I mean, we, we really enjoyed uh, putting this stuff together. It was sort of a new look on, um, I, I guess you could say a little bit more theoretical um, in terms of its approach to learning tennis. And actually, you know, the, the, uh, the theory basically applies to learning anything. Uh, but it was, it, the, the theory was drawn from a book I read called Talent is Overrated, where they discussed how top performers learn and it's not just tennis it's it's anything i think i think he has a discussion of tennis in the book i actually can't remember but he talks about mozart he talks about high level chess players and so on and the uh one of the concepts that the author jeff colvin talks about is this uh this concept of concentric circles of learning which was uh was i'm not sure if it was coined invented but the, uh, the person he referenced in terms of these concentric circles of, uh, of learning, a guy named uh, Noel, uh, Noel uh, Tishy, who is a, a – he's at the University of Michigan, I think the business school, um, and maybe a professor of management. But essentially there's three circles uh, that you could essentially be at when you're trying to figure out how to do something, when you're trying to learn something. And the first one, which would be in the middle, is something called the comfort zone, which is – stuff you're good at and that would be like driving a car mm-hmm. um like the gas brake whatever you don't really think about that stuff you can do it on autopilot and then surrounding that uh surrounding the comfort zone is a uh is the learning zone and that's where those, those skills are kind of right outside your reach you know if you tried to do them you would sometimes have success you sometimes wouldn't they're not uh, they're not automatic for you. You actually have to expend a decent amount of mental energy to pull it off correctly, and that's where you want to be when you're trying to figure out how to do something, uh, when you're trying to get better at something. And again, that's tennis, golf, um, you know, karate, whatever, mm-hmm. and or chess. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a sport. And then outside the learning zone is the comfort zone. <laughs> excuse me, is the panic zone going the wrong direction? Outside the learning zone is the panic zone. And those are skills that are just so far out of your reach that it's pointless to try them because you're not going to be able to do them. And, you know, let's say you magically pull off the, the skill in question one time out of ten. It's, it's so far out of your reach, you're not going to actually learn anything or get any gains from that. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, you know, we explain this in detail in the video. Um, hopefully you know, everybody listening can sort of visualize 
these three concentric circles. Uh, you know, again, it goes comfort zone, learning zone, panic zone. But I, I was reading this book and I was like, this is a awesome explanation. And it's so simple for how you should go about learning. Because I don't, I don't know what your experience here is with this, Ian, but I feel like a lot of recreational players kind of spend most of the time in the comfort zone, and that means they spend most of the time on skills they've already got. They're kind of reinforcing stuff they can already do. So you end up working, and because of that, you end up not really improving because you're working on stuff you can already do. You're not working to expand your skill set. No, I totally agree. And I was, uh, first of all, I, I've read that book, and for those of you listening that are just kind of interested in general about learning and what makes really high performers really successful, it's an extremely good book. I, I highly recommend it. Um, and I think it's awesome that you took this and applied it directly to your, your teaching will. And I agree, it totally makes sense. And, and I enjoyed it very much as well. And I also agree, I, I was actually going to take it the opposite direction. Um, I think it depends on the player. There's def, I mean, don't get me wrong, there's definitely a lot of recreational players out there. I mean, I kind of view these as kind of your, your cushy, like country club you know, type players that get uh-huh. stuck in the, in the comfort zone. Not that I know anything about cushy country clubs. Yeah, uh, of, course, of course. You know absolutely <laughs> nothing about the best club in the United States. Uh, but, uh, I, so many of those types of players get stuck in the comfort zone because, you know, they're not that interested in working hard and they're, they're happy with where they're at. They're like, ah, oh, whatever. I, you know, I can play the game. It's, I'm totally satisfied with that. And so they get stuck in the same level for like 30 years. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then on the other side of the spectrum, you, you and I deal with these types of players a lot online in our uh, internet teaching. And I think it's really common, especially in the last couple of years with the uh, the advent of you know high quality digital video of, of professional players. We have a, a lot of rec players now that I think are spending a lot of time in the panic zone trying to work on things that are way beyond what they're, you know, if they were honest with themselves or if they, I guess if they knew, I, I'm not going to say everybody is... Uh, ignorant but uh if they re- if they really knew what they were working on they would realize that it was, it was way outside of what they should actually be working on does that sound accurate yeah that's that's a, that's a fair point I, I i think uh if i was going to rephrase what i said earlier every pretty much every player wants to get better i i don't think there's there's a, too many players out there that say to themselves you know i'm, I'm kind of good where i am and i'm just gonna hang out here <laughs> And I, I think that's I think that's an abs- I, I think what happens is you get a lot of players who who think they're improving by working on stuff they've already got. You know, they're in the comfort zone, and they keep working on that stuff, thinking that they're making progress, but it actually doesn't translate into games because again, they're working on things they've already got and not working on skills they don't have. But I think you're absolutely right about the panic zone stuff because. Uh, there's a lot of material out there on the web. You watch these guys, uh, you know, a lot of material on their technique on the web. You watch these guys at Wimbledon hitting just outlandish, crazy shots, and then you try and apply that stuff to your game, and you just simply don't have that foundation to pull this stuff off consistently. So you're right. You end up in the in the panic zone, and uh, it's certainly not clear the process you need to go through to build up the skills necessary to hit something on a reverse forehand consistently. Sure. 
Yeah. Um, speak, uh, yeah, I just had like flashbacks there when you were talking about uh, somebody who gets stuck in the comfort zone. If I had a dollar for every time somebody in the past has signed up for a lesson with me and they're like, man, my serve is terrible. You know, I, I really want to, I got to get better at my serve. And then I, I take like a look at two of their swings. I'm like, all right, well, you know, we need to start with X, Y, or Z techniques. And they're like, ah, I don't know if I want to make that big of a change. It's like, come on, man. Yeah. It's it's tough. I mean, there is the uh, there is the the question always of of how much of an overhaul do you want to make? Mm-hmm. Um, and to be honest, I mean, that's sort of you know player to player. They have to make that call because you can obviously clean up and sharpen what they're currently doing. Um, but but sometimes it is a you know one step or even two step back to make you know many more steps forward. Um, but I am, I, you know, I'm, uh, and, and my buddy, uh, buddy Yano Zhu, who you're, uh, you're familiar with, who, who's working with us on Tennis RX, is a big proponent of playing the game in a way that feels right to you. That's his language. And what I think is absolutely accurate, um, and again, this is echoing his sen- sentiments, is that there are a lot of areas in players' games where they can make real quick improvement if they just kind of, if they know, you know, this is the particular skill I need to work on, say, for my forehand, or, or this is the skill I need on my backhand or my serve or so on. And I think, you know, a lot of the times, like you said, you might just have to completely deconstruct your serve and put it back together. But I also think with things like modern uh, – oh, yikes, edit that out. <laughs> um, there's a lot of things like um, – like the footwork, you know, Jan's a big, uh, uh, a big believer in the dynamic footwork, that stuff, you implement it and you, you literally instantly see results by putting it into, uh, into your game. I've had a bunch of people email me about the, uh, the videos we've done with him and just saying this footwork is, is crazy how fast it works. Um, so I think it's a, it's kind of a, a balancing act there. No, I totally agree. And, and I think that's where, and, and let me just say, first of all, that I've gotten similar feedback from uh, fans of Essential Tennis, listeners of the podcast, and, and people that uh, that I converse with on a regular basis online uh, that have gone through uh, the first RX that absolutely said that as well. So, I mean, when Will says that it's not it's not hype, I, I really believe that the RX program is, is solid because I personally know people that support Essential Tennis that have been through it and loved it. Um, now going back to what you just said, as far as Jan talking about implementing the right thing to kind of stay true to yourself and what your style is, how can we figure that out? I I think that's probably the biggest question. That's the biggest question that, that I had, uh, when you first started telling me about RX will, and I think it's probably going to be the biggest question that most of my listeners have is, so how does that, how, how can I, you know, as a student, take your course, figure out what my style is and figure out what changes to make so that they're best for me. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, it's basically, I mean, we talked about this in the video. You're talking about essentially figuring out your identity as a player. Yeah. How do you learn what that is? Well, I mean, you got to, you know, it's, it's a, it's a introspective part of, of being a tennis player. I mean, the first thing is just simply what are your, your athletic, um, you know, athletic abilities. And if you're 6'3", 200 pounds, and you're real strong, 
then you're probably going to be a pretty powerful player, uh, a player we refer to as a power monger. Hits real hard. You know, being that big, you probably aren't as quick as somebody that's my size, 5'8", 140. So um, you're, you're going to try and keep the points short. Somebody like myself, I'm going to try and move you around a little bit more. So that would be the first just sort of obvious thing you would look at. But then there's also the, uh, you need to, you know, identity is not a playing style um, because it takes into account your, your personality as well. Hmm. Uh, for example, I actually have a little bit of power monger in me, not necessarily because I can knock the cover off the ball. I don't hit nearly as hard as some of my peers, but I am aggressive when I get a look. Um, when I get a ball that kind of hangs, I'm not going to roll it around the corner or, you know, roll it from corner to corner like a counterpuncher. I'll go after it um, and try and press. So that, you know, changes your identity a bit. Um, you know, I would describe myself as an, as an aggressive power monger. Jan actually, uh, or excuse me, an aggressive counterpuncher. And Jan actually thought I was more of a power monger, which kind of surprised me when he said that to me. Um, he actually said, he said that during one of our live training sessions, I was a little shocked. We have, a, we have this video of me kind of doing this double take, being like, what? what? Uh, but he was right. I mean, because I hadn't really thought about it, uh, but he was right because uh, when I get it full, when I look on my forehand, I go after it. So um, it's, it's a combination of your physical abilities and your personality that really uh, make up your identity. And uh, so that was, that was how do you figure out your identity? And then the second part, was our second part to this question? Um, uh, yeah, the second part. <laughs> yeah, no, that's okay. You, you talk about it in the third video. Uh, my, the second part of my question basically was once you have figured your identity out, how do you decide what needs to be worked on next in your game to, to make a, okay. a step forward? Sure. Well, the, you know, when you're playing uh, really um, – you know, your matches are the best time to, to draw information about what you need to work on because if your opponent is any good, they're going to be giving you shots that uh, you're going to struggle with a little bit. Mm -hmm. And if, if they're not any good, they're going to be giving you shots that are in your comfort zone. Sure. So, you know, first of all, you blow someone off the court, oh, and oh, it feel, it's cool, and you're obviously happy to win a match like that, but how much information do you actually get out of that match because – you're hitting balls that are in your wheelhouse. Right, right. And it's really the matches where you get pressed a little bit um, and pressed by a, by a peer, someone who's around your level. You know, if you play somebody that's way better than you, they're going to be putting you in the panic zone all the time. You're not going to be able to, you know, they're, they're just going to hit shots you have no chance of dealing with. But someone around your level is going to give you shots that are going to hurt you a little bit. You're going to have success on some of them and other ones you won't have success on. But... Those are the, the, the shots that you then need to focus on. And you, when you combine that information with your identity, then you can kind of prioritize what you need to work on there. Because, you know, let's say there's, there's 10 things you need to work on. And you, you make a list of 10 things. How do you know which one goes at the top of the list and which one goes at the bottom? Right. Well, if you're a counterpuncher and you got a couple – items on that list there that that are skills that really a power monger would want to emphasize, well, you'd say, you know, these are the ones I don't need to work on right away. I need to work on the skills that complement who I am as a tennis player, 
and fit into my identity because that's going to that's going to give me the biggest bang for my buck. I mean, it's like you know, Caroline Wozniacki shouldn't be out there trying to hit 140 mile an hour serve. She should be working on on moving her moving the ball around the court. She should maybe work you know, in terms of being a little bit more aggressive, stepping up when she gets a short ball and going after that, working on that particular element um, of her game that would be a little bit more aggressive. But, um, but again, that type of aggression would fit into her playing style versus just trying to blow somebody off the court with one swing of the racket. So how does that, how does that work in with what I, I think most teachers would probably recommend that tennis players do, which is find out what you're weakest at and kind of build up your weakness to, to, so that you can kind of fill in the chinks of the armor. I mean, is that, um, does that go against what you're saying or not really? Oh, no, it's certainly what, what it, I think it plays into, um, I think it fits in nicely with what we just talked about because you're going to figure out if you're playing a good opponent, what your weaknesses are, because they're going to expose those weaknesses. So, uh, you're going to know exactly what they are, and then you should certainly uh, spend time strengthening them. Um, but you should also, you know, you, you don't just only want to focus on your weaknesses. You want to focus on your uh, your sort of go-to plays and the go-to patterns you would use when you get a, when you get control of the point. So it's, I mean, it's, it's your entire game you're working on. Um, but but again, the uh, the process is sort of derived from uh, or just in your match results. And a good person to look at is Rafael Nadal on the court because when he first started playing, he was basically a counter serve, very powerful. Clay forehand, backhand was good, uh, and he played very far behind the baseline. But he, uh, you know, over the last five years, he's turned himself basically into one of the best aggressive players. Tour. His serve, obviously, the U.S. Open best example was 130 plus, just unbelievably powerful compared to what it what it was. His movement, um, I think, has been a huge improvement. Where uh, and not only his 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 uh, willingness to move forward and attack the first short ball. I mean, he's and obviously he runs around like all his backhands to hit forehands. Um, there's an example of a guy who just. Uh, was um, was so dogged in terms of trying to improve both strengths and weaknesses. Uh, you know, his, his willingness to move forward, his willingness to move around his backhand um, has uh, has strengthened his, his forehand a little bit. Actually, he made a grip change to, to kind of flatten the ball out slightly so he could go after a little bit more and have more success on a, a faster course. Um But you look at the backhand, the backhand has gotten better, right? He's strengthened that because it was certainly the weaker side, but he still runs around it all the time. So he's still emphasizing his forehand. So again, it is that balance between uh, you know between going with what you're good at and tightening up your uh, weaker elements. Sure. Thanks for the explanation. <laughs> um, so as we start to wrap up here, I and I, again, Will describes all of this really, really well uh, using the uh, the whiteboard, uh, the way that all of you have, you know are probably familiar with him doing uh, right behind him, drawing drawing out the three circles and um, also diagramming exactly how you can use those three circles in conjunction with match play to uh, to make a, a prioritized list of what to work on, et cetera, et cetera. I, I think you really do a nice job of really laying it out, Will. 
And that kind of brings me to one of my last questions here. I, I, I felt like having watched all three of the uh, the videos that you put out in the free course, I mean, it almost seemed like you kind of gave the keys away. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you explained it super well, almost to the point where I'm like, huh, you know, Will's kind of telling everybody exactly what to do to get better. So I guess what's left in, in, in the full course? Uh, how, how do you build on top of that? And how much more in detail do you get, I, I guess, once you go to the full RX course? Yeah, I mean, the course is, is, is super detailed. It's somewhere between 15 and 20 hours um, of material. I mean, the, the broad, you know, the, the, the free material we, we produced is, uh, I think, a very good explanation of what you need to do, like you said. But it's a 30,000-foot look. And, you know, in, in the full program, we go into uh, detail on forehand, backhand, serve, net game, uh, the mental game as well, in terms of how you, um, how you use these uh, circles properly. Now, we actually don't um, – we refer to the process inside of RX as layering. Uh, which we also in the free training uh, describe where basically you start with a, a relatively simple exercise and you start adding layers of complexity, um, which would keep you in the learning zone. Okay. If that makes sense. Because yeah. as you get better, more and more skills are going to end up being in the comfort zone. So you need to make your exercises more complicated to stay in the learning zone. So we have uh, an extensive set of exercises for every single shot, uh, including the footwork, to make sure that you're always in the learning zone. I mean, we basically, the way I would, I would describe it is for all these, these shots, uh, you know, forehand, backhand, whatever, you're going to be able to get in there and figure out the exercise that's going to put you in the learning zone, and then you're going you're gonna to be able to, uh, to improve right from, uh, right from the get-go. And then at the end, we, uh, we wrap up with, we come back to profile and we talk about a process called sequencing and mapping, which really lets you drill down um, and be specific, super specific with, um, with extracting the correct information from matches so that you, you can plug it back into your, uh, your practice sessions, training sessions, and, and, and get the most bang for your book, so to speak. Okay. Great. Well, I, I strongly urge everybody that's listening to me either on a Monday or, or Tuesday. Let me get the dates. Uh, today's the 27th. Uh, so 27th and 28th of June. Definitely go check it out. Again, you can do that by going to EssentialTennis.com slash RX. Um, you'll, uh, Will's going to ask you for, for your email address so that he can stay in touch with you about the course. Uh, don't worry. Will's a stand-up guy. He's not going to give your email address to anybody else, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then at the end of the free course, you'll have a chance to sign up for the full RX uh, 2.0 program. And I'm going to be sending out an email on uh, Tuesday. It's going to have a special link in it if you use it. You'll have the opportunity to get a great bonus that I'm throwing in as well, in addition to everything that Will's including in the program. And also when you use that, that link, a percentage of your purchase price comes back to help support me and EssentialTennis.com, which I always appreciate very much. So, Will, do you have any final thoughts or anything else that you, you want to throw in? Uh, I'm not sure. You know, I don't think so. We covered it all pretty well. Um... But, uh, but yeah, uh, you know, check out the free training. I, I really hope uh, 
it helps everybody listening. Um, it was a lot of fun putting that stuff together and reading all the comments. So, uh, so after you check it out, please, uh, please let me know what you think. Okay. Well, with that, well, I'm going to let you go. Thanks very much for uh, spending your time with me and with my listeners. We, we always appreciate it, and uh, hopefully we'll have you back on the show in the near future. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, Ian. Thanks again for having me on. All right. That does it for episode number 176 of the Essential Tennis Podcast. Thank you very much for joining me and for listening. I really appreciate it. If you have any comments or questions about anything that you heard in today's episode, definitely let me know by going to EssentialTennis.com slash podcast and click on episode number 176. Leave your comments and questions there. I'll read one or two of those at the end of next week's show and respond and give you my thoughts on uh, anything that you, that you might have uh, about my conversation with Will today. So until then... Uh, I'm looking forward to watching the the finishing of uh, Wimbledon. Should be exciting. I hope the rest of you listening are, are getting a chance to watch at least a little bit as well. And I'm looking forward to my interview next week with Brent Abel. So until then, thanks again for listening. Take care and good luck with your tennis. <laughs>